Hello. Hi. This is Tinny. And I'm Amanda. And welcome to another episode of Open Access. And Open Access is, of course, the podcast that looks at our industry and the trends that impact it through the lens of our own agency. Indeed. And that's a little reminder, just in case you've forgotten, because it's been a little while. It really has been a few months now. I know. How have you been, Amanda? I've been all right, Tinny. How about you? I've been really good, enjoying the, the great summer. Yes. Exciting absolutely. times. So, this week's episode features a special guest from our New York office, Evelyn Sprigg. Welcome. Hi, I'm glad to be on here. So, Ev has been in our office now for a month, living with us, being one with us, and we thought it would be a good opportunity to see, kind of pick her brains and speak to her about her experience of um, working in a UK PR agency and also the differences that she's found between the UK media and US media and then obviously UK PR and US PR. So Ev, how have you found it? Cool. Well, first, I'm sorry if you guys aren't understanding me as I've picked up quite a British accent in my month here. You so wish. I think the teams are going to be wondering who is talking to them when I return back to New York. I'm sure. <laughs> Wait, is this your British accent right now? It is. <laughs> oh, how lovely. That was <laughs> well, um, so I think firstly, it's been a bit of a busy month from a media perspective in the US. But what have you found from kind of being afar? Like, what do you think about that versus kind of the UK media? So I think it, you know, reinforced um, a lot of what I had thought about kind of in theory and talking to clients and, and working across where we always explain some of the differences. Because I think quite often on the US side, we find that we work with a lot of global clients mm. who have experience with UK or global media and assume it's similar. And we often are trying to explain how it's not. Um, yeah. And so I think I had a chance to live it a little bit more to validate um, some of those differences. Um, you know, I think at the core, um, the insights, how you get stories, the relationships, the creative elements, um, you know, the passion for it, the being on top of everything, that's all really similar. Yeah. Um, you know, I think some of the biggest differences are just really the, the scope and scale of the U.S. Um, and given the size and given the variety and the verticals, um, we just have so many different um, outlets and editors and angles and things to play in that quite often people say, you know, the U.S. is so U.S. focused, it doesn't think about other things. Um, but I think it's quite honestly because we have such a big volume, it's, it's hard enough to even manage yeah. what's happening within the country, let alone what's happening outside because what you're pitching into Florida could be totally different than California. Um, you know, six hour flight away, different environment, different weather, different challenges happening, different mm. political points of view. Um, so it's really, really diverse. And I think that's one of the biggest differences is the scale that we have. So do you then create a lot of regional programs? Because I think if I'm honest, and maybe this is because we are, you know, sitting here in Omnicom Towers in London, that we, we focus a lot on national media and national press, because um, I think it's a, it's a easier way probably to, to reach a large audience. But I don't know how much we create specific regional programs. Is that something you have to do in the States, or is that just a very clever tactic? Yeah, no, we, we, we do a fair bit of that because um, you actually see a lot of business results um, almost m more closely with the regional. I mean, we have instances where we'll pitch out things and stores in that local market will sell out after wow. a newspaper article runs. And you can actually show some of the PR results because um, that's the only thing that's happening in that market. Like, mm. you know the TVC isn't airing in that market and you know that you ran that article in the Saturday Times and that Best Buy said that they sold out. 
Um, so for some of our clients, whether they be you know opening up new stores, opening up new centers, um, for some of them that have uh, we have you know clients that work on flu and other areas like different regions are affected differently. Mm, they care yes. about different things, and, and those are powerful. Um, other brands, you know, national is definitely the way to go. But even within that, um, they're based in different areas of the country, and again, their scope and scale is a little bit different. It's something I think, unfortunately, sometimes our clients are are not our clients. Excuse me, are not as impressed with. And I find in the U.S., from my ancient experience there, it was much easier to get kudos for some of your regional hits. Mm. I find here they get buried. The national is always the client priority, but as Ev says, you can really see some nice lift in some of the more local places. Yeah, it's kind of funny because you know we talk about it a lot, but if you think about something like a Today Show and everyone wants to be on the Today Show, right. well, only. Four million or five million, eight million, whatever the numbers are, watch it out of you know 330, 350 million. Mm -hmm. So even our national, it's not that big. And if we get something that's more laser focused on the target, so for example, we work on baby products. The Today Show doesn't help us because out of that four million, how many people are pregnant and thinking about buying baby products? Right. So we can actually do something really different in that space that's far more effective that isn't as glitzy mm -hmm. um, as something like a Today Show placement that is more effective for the, the client. But it, you know, some of it's still an education because some people like to see, you know, everyone turns on Today Show and sees it, so it's highly visible. Is right. it you know driving your business? That's a bigger question. Even though everyone's at work, that's what I never understand about morning shows. <laughs> Well, somehow there's a lot of like morning show buzz, which is like the weird thing. So you're right. No, no one sees it, but someone sees it and tells someone, and then everyone shares that they saw it, and then you get a lot more conversation that way. It is true. Although they are on for ages, so I feel like I yeah. always see morning shows. It's like 5 a.m. to noon. Yeah. They're really stretching the hours <laughs> now. It's true. But yeah. this morning... Hoda's seventh everyone, hour. Yeah. yeah. This yeah. morning, everyone wants to be on. Yeah. But... We're all at work. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Who's watching this morning and are they buying our clients' products? But to your point, they do drive a lot of just ad hoc conversation. Um, and we see that here a lot as well. That's probably quite a similar, a similar thing. How have you found just being in the office and like hearing kind of the language that people use? Is that different to the States just in terms of like selling in or just how, how people speak to the media? Did you find that as well, Amanda? Sorry, that's the secondary question afterwards. Oh, Amanda, you want to go ahead? <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so when I first moved over here, I was in a very different role. I was in healthcare. Mm. So in terms of how we spoke to media, there is a distinct difference between healthcare in the U.S. and healthcare over here due to the regulatory environment. Yeah. So it was much more consumer-focused in the U.S. and here it was very data-driven, and you mm. really need to you know be speaking as though it's peer-to-peer. -peer. So. That's a tougher question for me to answer. I do feel like the strength of relationships because of the media environment that Ev described because it's so vast and so regional, relationships mean so much more here and a lot of times the strength of them is, is much more powerful and there's much more of an emphasis placed on them. Yeah, I think a specific example, because I, I was thinking, generally it's been very similar, everything that I'm hearing, but one thing that I noticed that was different was for a particular kind of placement, um, the, the team was actually working with the editor reporter on what section of the book it went into and also trying to get like more questions in or more specifics mm -hmm. in there. In the US, you're so far away from that level of ability to like influence things. Um, it, you know, I mean, if we're getting something into a lore, 
we have no say on whether they're going to be in, uh, you know, the beauty page or in, you know, the, the back end of it. And if there's a column we want to be in, it's just so far away from being able to make that connection. And I thought that was really kind of cool and interesting that there's more of a dialogue and kind of working together and how it fits and what works best in the publication. I've had a couple of clients say, you know, great, we want to be in this paper. And also when we're in the newspaper, like where in the paper will, where will we be? And I don't think I've ever in the U.S. been able to answer that question because it's just like a non-starter to, to have that dialogue. They let you know when it when it prints, you know. That's interesting. So how are, what are the relationships like with PRs and, and media in the States? So I think it's, I'd say it's a little bit of a rocky road sometimes here, but actually in general, I think in certain industries, like the beauty industry, I think it's easier to build those kind of longer term relationships. And I think in general, those relationships are quite good, um, but it sounds like that's not the same. Uh, I think it's similar. I mean, the the editor um, is pl mainly where you can get the relationships. I think maybe right. some of the technology and, and most of like the the long lead books. But even within them, you have you know eight or nine people influencing the stories, so you can have an amazing relationship and actually get the story. But then for it to finally run, it goes through then the senior editor and then you know the the editor in chief and someone makes the cut. So you know it, it's a little bit more complex in some ways. Um, I still think we have a lot of the same battles and challenges that you guys have here, which is, um, you know, they all declare church and state and editorial and advertising is separate and relationships don't matter. But at the end of the day, you know, when you work with them and if you supply them with product, it does help. And if they're a big advertiser, if your client's a big advertiser, it does hold some sway, you know, over what happens there too. So there's a lot of um, talk in the U.S. and from media around you know, challenges with PR people and what we don't do right or how they don't listen to us. But at the end of the day, when they're trying to produce six pieces of content in one day, they lean really heavy on the PR people to pull it through because it's not possible as a reporter and editor to do six pieces of content in one day on your own. Yeah. And I think on that, how do you think the media has changed over the last few years? I think in the UK, we have seen, you know, jobs go, we have seen publications fold. Um, we have seen just a complete kind of restructure of the UK media um, and journalists are more and more under under pressure. Yeah, and almost a complete loss of men's titles. Yeah, actually that's really true. Mm. We don't really have any men's, we have like two men's titles now. Yeah, we're really similar. We're, um, you know, less print, um, running res less frequently. Digital is actually sometimes desired by our clients um, more than the print because you can actually click through and right. and show some of those deals. Um, a lot more jack of all trades. So we used to have people who were highly specialized in you know their vertical, and now they're expected to cover um, you know sexual well-being and beauty and men's and a little bit of something else versus you know being in kind of one area. So they're not as knowledgeable about all the different pieces. Um, they also wear multiple hats. So they're writing in print. They're also doing it online. They're also doing the Instagram stories, and the Instagram stories are for both the publications channels and for their own personal channels. So they're kind of like a one-man machine, you know, doing all of these different pieces, which has become a lot more complex. And you know, all the um, houses are buying each other, um, you know, different uh, yeah. and consolidations and coming together. And I think that's cool in some ways, but you know, with um, you know, to kind of time coming in with with some of the Meredith and other things like that, there's just um, a lot more publications under fewer numbers of houses, which also creates challenges with 
kind of advertising and rates and you know what you can get in. Also opens doors because there's a lot more like synergies and partnerships across the, the publications. Yeah. But then randomly there's like new print publications that come out too. Like with the whole How long like, will they last? Yeah, but with like Joanna and Chip and whatever the um, you know, home decorating people, like they launched a magazine. So I guess there's yeah. still some room. That seems like it's doing well. Yeah, absolutely. So I have a slightly controversial question. Ooh. Um, I mean, it's never that controversial. <laughs> <laughs> I like to preface it so people think it is, it's not. Um, how has I think over the last two years, with Trump coming in, it feels like the media has been quite polarized in the States. And we've seen something fairly similar here with Brexit. But how has that affected kind of your day-to-day job? I think we did have some clients that we were having to kind of talk about Brexit with, but in a, in a kind of balanced way. But um, has it affected your sell-ins or your approach or even the media that you go to? Oh, that's a really... That's a good question. Um, you did not prepare me for it at all. So I, I, on some level, I, I don't think that it's changed much because a lot of what we do, you know, there, there's a real delineation between the news cycle and the politics and everything that's happening yeah. and then the brand stories of things that we're telling. Yeah. But I do think one of the challenges is that the, the, the coasts tend to have a very strong opinion one way and the rest of the country has other opinions. And the media that we work with most regular basis tend to be coast based. Mm-hmm. So um, I do think that from a, and a lot of our clients are not coast based. So I do think people need to be more cognizant of um, remaining professional and making sure that whatever your opinion is on either side, you're being careful mm-hmm. to not um, assume that other people's opinions are the same, um, because particularly a lot of our clients aren't the same as the media. Um, so I'd say just more in relationships is probably being a little bit more cognizant of what you say and not maybe being so dismissive one way or the other of how you're feeling about things is probably one of the things that I would pay attention to a little bit more. Um, I don't know if there's other, I mean, I think, you know, one of the other ones is just from like an issues and crisis perspective, that's been like the biggest change. So if a company, one of our clients um, does something that's portrayed a certain way, it Mm -hmm. can become an inflammatory issue in like one second. So not one of our clients, but we saw with like um, Papa John's Pizza, you know, a a simple NFL sponsorship um, all of a sudden became a a huge political landmine where, you know, it's now is the pizza supporting people kneeling during the anthem or not. Um, And it, and it, you know, then became the fans themselves. Are you, are you pro America? Are you pro football? Are you pro freedom? Are you pro whatever? Um, and, and, and yeah, and, and it's I'm like, and at the end of the day, it's like cheap pizza, you know, and all of a sudden they're broiled this and it's literally, you know, ruining the business. And part of it is because, you know, the CEO didn't yes. make the right call, um, in a lot of elements, but it, it's like those things happen so quickly and they didn't before because I think everyone's just ready to ignite in one second when they sense, mm. um, something happening. I think it's an interesting thing that you've said more culturally, so I'm going to widen this out for media, is talking to clients and not expressing political opinions. Because when I moved over here, again, ages ago, so things could have morphed on either side, and maybe it's just that we live in an access bubble, which is gobby and opinionated, as you might have guessed, based on this podcast. But I find that client relationships, there it's not that there's less professionalism, but there are fewer concerns about broaching some of those controversial topics in building a personal relationship. Um, yeah. And I would say it's the same with some other things that go along with professional culture, culture in England, like drinking, which isn't mm. just present in the US, for example. So I think 
there are some interesting ways in which professionalism is, is carved out differently here. And I remember being a bit shocked by that when I first moved over and having to adjust accordingly. Because you're saying in the U.S. we're a little bit more we're neutral or yeah, like we, more tight-lipped about saying that. That whatever yeah. professionalism is, I think it is perceived as being neutral and, and keeping the topics quite safe. And yeah. That's how we got here. No, but I'm not saying we should be like hammering our clients with their political yeah. views. Well, not even political. Yeah, 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 just in general. Yeah, but it's fair. I think we wait and test the waters and get a sense of where they are before you feel comfortable yeah. to express mm-hmm. an opinion um, versus thing. just expressing it. I don't think that's bad advice for life, to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> 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 if only I listened to myself. <laughs> um, what I think is interesting in this environment is that we have had clients who actually in the past have said we want to be in XYZ publication. They have huge reach, they are amazing, that's the one we know that moves the needle. But then since a lot of the kind of political turmoil has happened, they have now pulled their advertising from those publications. And actually there's in a strange way, a more, more pressure for us to get PR coverage in those publications because they won't pay for it anymore. Um, have you seen that? Yeah, I think I think we've seen. I don't know if I have more on that one. I think we've seen a similar. Yeah. Stress um, dynamic happening. Have you? I know you've only been here three weeks, and maybe you haven't been scrolling through the internet as much because you've been enjoying the lovely half summer we're still having but I wondered if you had seen any influencers or just seen any, the kind of influencer landscape in the in the UK if it's any different from the US or if you think we're approaching them in a different way anything on influencers yeah no I've had a chance to <laughs> I've had a chance because we sit in a nice open floor plan um, hear some of the dialogue and um, actually see some of the placements in the clips and I think it's really really similar it feels, yeah. it feels like um, you know you guys are, are working in a similar way and also maybe struggling with some of the um, similar things around making sure that they disclose appropriately, um, making sure that they're getting the messages right. Um, I think some of the balances um, of that you're paying, but at the same time, you're you're not paying for the message, right? So how do you make sure that they're saying what you want them to say or that they're saying what's right about the product um, in an earned capacity, but at the same time, like, you know, you're paying them, so they kind of Have have to. Um, and it's that weird in between, um, and yeah. it feels really, really similar. Really, and I yeah. think that's the real battle now with influencers. And I think in yeah. 2019, we're going to see, I think we're going to see the influencer model and market change quite significantly um, because it's going to have to. Otherwise, it's just going to be display advertising. Yeah. Um, and where's the authenticity in that? You've alluded to it a couple of times, and Amanda mentioned it. You've now you've been here for a while. You've worked in our open plan office. How do you feel about agency life in the UK? And how is it different? Um, I mean, I love it. I've had such a great time here. And I think, you know, I don't know if I can speak broadly to agency life here versus in the US. um, But I'd say from an access perspective, you guys embody everything that has made me want to work at Access from you know day one, oh. which is you know, <laughs> which is you know that that you know I think we always say in the in you know as part of our values PFFs, which I know is not um, a thing that exists here, although I don't think it exists in the US either. I think we made it up, but <laughs> you know, the kind of professional friends forever. But um, it's all about you know friendship, bettering the work, 
And I really feel it here, which is that um, there's a camaraderie and an ability to partner that actually makes your thinking bigger and better, that makes you more comfortable to maybe take risks, that makes you a little bit bolder, also a little bit more open to take feedback and bring things forward. So it's a really nice dialogue. And I think you know by enjoying what you do and, and who you do it with, um, you just produce better things and, and it's a happier, healthier environment. So. Um, you know, I think it's been really, really nice and it's a great energy and, and spirit and enthusiasm and, you know, clearly it's a, it's a fun place to be producing smart work. How did you, yeah. much. How did you feel, Amanda, when you came over? Oh, I was like, I didn't answer that question because I've been here the whole time, <laughs> literally the entire time. Um, so when I first came over, I remember, actually it's so funny because I was a very different person professionally. Excuse me, I have to call. <coughs> well, now that that episode is over. I was quite a different person then, and it was a, a long time ago, so I'm not sure if I was just um, maybe less developed in my own mindset or my own opinions about work, but I remember being quite shocked at, again, all the things that I think in insofar as American professionalism was, I remember finding the language to be rather shocking. Like, I thought everything was an HR issue. And now, you know, I think sometimes the way we converse, everything probably is an HR issue. Ev, don't write aside. Lucky, we've flown beneath the radar so far. Um, I just remember thinking that like certain language was shocking and that the open plan office was really hard for me to adjust to when I first moved here, and now I'm the world's biggest advocate for it. Um, Do you have an open plan office in the States, Ev? Uh, We have a mixed one, but up up until a couple weeks ago, we were in an open floor plan, and um, I think people were equally nervous about it and then um, love it, which is why we've been rebuilding our space out to be more open plan. Do you like an open plan? I feel like Americans are usually quite anti-open plans. Uh, no, I think I think in this industry, in the in the comms industry, and, and who we are as people, everyone actually really enjoys the open plan and likes the energy and the dialogue and the conversation. Um, I think even when we're not open floor plan, we have like eight people will be in an office, like all working together and doing things. So they kind of create their own mini open plans. I think the only challenge really is the space issue of like conference calls mm-hmm. and talking to clients and just you know having awkward things happening around you while you're maybe trying to present. Um, <laughs> if you have enough space to go for those moments where you need to not have 30 people buzzing around you, yes. it works. But, you know, I, I think the benefits are outweigh the, the challenges. Yeah, I do too. I mean, I came when, when I did move here. It was like quite a status thing. The size of your office reflects right, yeah. where you were in your career. And I remember I had like a really lovely office and then coming here and having to sit at a desk. I was like, what has happened to me? What have I done? Yeah. Um, like I said, healthcare was a very different environment. So it was, I had a bit of culture shock that I didn't anticipate, and we have just been working on an expat-based campaign for um, a piece of work that we're noodling through. And I, as I'm reflecting on my expat experience, how I feel now compared to how I feel then are two totally different people. Do you think you could go back to working in a New York, in your own office kind of style? I am not actually sure. That is something, as we were talking about this expatriate challenge, we were talking about how repatriating is the biggest mm. anxiety causer amongst expats, and I would think that that was true predominantly because of this issue. I always joke that I would be fired instantaneously, but I also worry about, I think work-life balance is much better here. Mm. Um, I, I do worry about that clampdown of what I keep calling, and I shouldn't, professionalism, mm. in so far as I think it limits it can limit your thinking and your relationship development. Um, 
so there are things, I don't, maybe I was quite scarred. Again, this was ages ago, it was more than 15 years ago. I was more junior in my PR career. It was How is harder. that possible when you're only 32? I don't that? know, no. actually. It's like I'm Doogie Hazard, PR. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, I cannot believe you. And how much did I age myself without one reference, which is actually incredible. But I think that well, I was a much younger person who was beholden right. to a lot of different people. I have a lot of autonomy and authority now, so that probably makes yeah. life easier. And, you know, maybe some of our juniors are just as stressed out as I was, and <laughs> I don't. I think you benchmark yourself in different ways as well. So yeah. if you're benchmarking yourself, like, I think when you are more junior, you do you are looking around, you are benchmarking against how, how was it doing last year, how my right. peers doing. Right. I think that office thing is probably part of that. Yeah. That for sure. Thing. Well, and I think something that back in the day companies gave a status because they couldn't give, you know, maybe money or promotion. So on the mm. corporate side, um, I know some people when they elevated levels, it was like you got a foot more of yeah. office space yeah. instead of oh like a better raise. And yeah. you know, I think I think people's you know interest in, in what they want has changed and, mm. and modified with that too, where that's maybe not as satisfying. Yeah. yeah. Oh my God, if Amanda said, I'm not going to give you a pay rise, I'm going to give you an extra foot around your desk. <laughs> I would die. That is what I gave you to me. That's why I took that few minutes and I'll give that. That's your <laughs> That's why no I one will sit next to you that this week. Enjoy. Enjoy. Oh, what You're to welcome. do with it? I'm going to get a new stapler. <laughs> um, so, Ev, this probably brings us to the end. So, usually I ask Amanda to list kind of do like a three pronged summary of like recommendations so this time I'm going to say what are the three things that you're going to take back to the states of you from the UK and what are the three things that you would recommend that we adopted here oh wow that's a tough question okay (laughs) all these zingers at the end um what would I bring back I think one of the things that I've enjoyed is it that your teams actually go through the newspapers and magazines and stuff collaboratively in the morning every morning and discuss news that's happening and we're not really doing that um so i think that's a really cool thing that i'd like to bring back um on a light-hearted side you guys do like fun things with like friday quizzes and stuff oh, and buying quiz. snacks and other things like that but <laughs> and people are really excited trolls. about it and um i think that's kind of a, a fun cool thing um and i think a third thing i'd bring back is a lot of the work we're doing is so similar and we have amazing smart people on both um, sides of the pond and I don't think we're using each other enough in creative ideation Um, you know noticing like here um, you know you guys have a smaller team and when you're brainstorming you're brainstorming as an agency and so you kind of have the same heads coming forward and so one of the things I think we can bring to you guys or one of the things I'd recommend my return is you know maybe tapping into more minds and using them for your plans um because sometimes the geography doesn't matter it's just a creative idea and you just need you know different heads and thinking um i do think what has helped in that respect is you i think when you brought one of your client briefs to us having you in the room being able to kind of talk through it allows us to brainstorm it properly i think in the past I i always think it's very difficult to brainstorm over the phone right um, but I wonder if there is a way that we can I mean, talk about this later. But we've been doing but more like I am brainstorm. So as we have like work from home Wednesdays in the states and other things like that, you know, a lot of our brainstorms on that day are totally virtual, and every person's a different location. Yeah. And if you go in where everyone's virtual or at the 
that mm. level, it's actually much more collaborative and everyone's IMing and putting ideas and you don't need to be you know, in that room. So that might be a different That's form or function that we can bring forward. Um, so what has been the highlight of your trip? Um, I just love the like energy and atmosphere. I mean, I don't think it's been one particular thing. It's just, I like every day, just like walking outside and walking through the city, it just feels, um, I don't know, it's beautiful and fun and high energy. And, you know, I lived here a long time ago and it's been a long time and it feels like kind of a second home to me. So it just felt really comfortable. Well, it's been lovely to have you back. It's been lovely to have you. And would you recommend this kind of trip to other people if they're available in their, within their organization? I think I'm the only person that can do it. <laughs> I'd recommend it for no one. It will just be me consistently. Um, no, a million percent. I would recommend it, and I know people always want to come to New York and San Francisco, and I would recommend that too. But I think even having um, more than just like a day or two and, and spending time is really, really nice. Great. Well, it's been lovely having you. Thank you very much. Thank you very much for doing the podcast with us, um, and thank you to the listeners. And we'll see you again next time, hopefully very soon. Bye. Thank you. Bye.